Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Follow them on Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton. Follow me, Scott Bogman, on Twitter at Bogman Sports. Follow Nicholas Ian Allen, the man that makes it happen at CFB Winning Edge, on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. It is week one. Week zero is in the books. Week zero is a nice little appetizer, appetizer, uh, hors d'oeuvre, if you will, of college football. But this week, we got games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. It is so much fun. It's the best weekend of college football all year, I feel like, until we get to the playoffs. So I am super excited for it. It's here. Nick, are you ready? I mean, obviously, (laughs) everything goes into prepping for this. Are you ready to rock and roll for week one, my friend? Yeah, I think so. Uh, week zero was a great appetizer, as you mentioned. Uh, got to take a closer look at some teams that probably are going to be overshadowed for the most part uh, from here forward. But um, that's always, I think, a, a good thing to do, get a, get a you know that closer look. And also, uh, my mind just went blank as we hit record here. Um, but it's also, you know, able to knock the rust off a little bit of a long off season, kind of get into the flow a little bit of the, the week to week grind and sort of, you know, my checklist, I do this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday, uh, without sort of the overwhelming 80 games that we have this week. (laughs) It's nice to get, you know, uh, seven or however many, uh, in, in week one or week zero, just to kind of ease in just a little bit, a little bit of a trial run. Uh, the projections went quite well, <laughs> six and one yeah. against the spread officially. There we go. Um, we were three and four on over and unders, but uh, had one wrong team favored that worked out for us. So uh, it was a it was a nice start, and we'll see how we go from here. But always better to start out a little bit ahead than uh, trying to climb out of a hole. So it was uh, nice to, to get that in week zero as well. Xavier, I'm one to know. I'm not, I'm not as good as Nick. I'm not six and one in week one, but hey, I, you're put, undefeated. What are you talking right. about? I am. I am undefeated. I put one bet uh, week one. It was the USC over. And I was nervous at the end of that first quarter where it was seven to seven. And I was like, uh Oh, here we go. But the second quarter, exploded the the third quarter i had it so uh love winning bets to start the season but uh you're gonna be on the move here soon you're moving and shaking are you ready for college football to start am i ready yeah that's a rhetorical question right i am ready to go i'm ramped up uh three p coming soon possibly um you know first three p since the 1930s is on the cards for georgia this year i believe um or the 1940s one of the two uh, so obviously that's huge, uh, but no, I'm excited. I, I I sat down and watched Hawaii Vanderbilt like all the way through, <laughs> and that's not something I could say every year. <laughs> but, what, what did your therapist say about that? Uh, you have an addiction. I mean, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. look, it doesn't take a therapist for me to answer that question. Yeah, didn't have one. <laughs> uh, same thing. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, but yeah, lo- lo- loved every bit of week zero. Uh, but I'm ready to get to some more high stakes matchups for sure. Ready to get yourself some Whataburger, too, when you come on out to Texas. And so. we have in and is in and out Oh, I forgot. In Austin, yeah, they have yes, In-N-Out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've had both, right, yeah, yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know Whataburger's better. So, uh, you, you can't – and by the way, you can't live in Texas and not say Whataburger's better. So, I'll just warn you about that right now. So, even if you don't believe it, you got to say it. <laughs> uh, but – 
Let's get into the week one action. We're going to start on Thursday. Uh, the rematch of last year's game that was so much fun in the swamp where Florida beat uh, Utah at the end of the game. Now it's Utah's chance to get some revenge here, although they did get some bad news that Cam Rising is out of this game. Did we uh, hear about Keithy yet, uh, Nick, or you still question? I've, I've heard some rumors, reports, maybe not. I don't know if it's like official, but uh, I went ahead and removed him from the depth chart projection as well. So uh, it seems like right now odds are against both Keithy. playing. Yeah based on what I've heard, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. see. I don't, I don't fully trust that personally. Flor, Florida is on the road uh, going to Utah this time. The line right here is Utah by six and a half at home. 44 and a half is the official total. Um, I know we're way over on this total here, Nick. So um, tell me if that's adjusted without rising and how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, so good good one to start on because uh, one, uh, a few things that, that affect this game and affect the way we talk about our projections. Um, the official projection that we make, which goes into the Campus to Canton Discord in the C2C Winning Edge uh, tier uh, channel that, that we put our weekly projections in, all that is set in stone on Tuesday the way it has been for years when we were on Patreon. Um, but we do still make adjustments. Um, when that official uh, projection was made, when we locked it in, um, we did have Cam Rising starting. I made a, uh, that, or what, a judgment call on that. Uh, might end up being wrong, obviously, but uh, had Rising in there, had Keithy in there. We were on Utah. Um, but of course, as news comes out today, there was the, you know, Pete Thamel went on College Football Live and uh, said that that rising is doubtful. There were some other uh, things that sounded like they, they might um, conflict with that, but we'll see. Went ahead and made the change. So our projection that we're going to talk about right now is a little bit different than that official one because we do make those changes you know, throughout the course of the week, leading up to kickoff, at, you know, as the game is going, we'll, we'll make some changes. So um, that is a little bit of a plug to, to say, hey, you know, sign up for Campus Canton, C2C Winning Edge, or All-22 tier, and you can see how the numbers change. You can see what our new projections are because they update automatically when we make those uh, lineup changes, those, those step chart changes. Um, second, you mentioned the weather. Uh, the way that we project uh, in our official uh, projections and, and uh, you know, right now we don't have a, a way to account for weather. These are just based on stats, recent history, matchups, things like that. Um, does not take into account the weather. So, yeah, we're, we're way over because there is expected to be uh, a lot of wind, which has more of an impact on totals than uh rain does but yeah so we're we're going to be way over that doesn't necessarily feel great but that's just sort of the way our projections work right now for the game itself i know that we are uh, you know things things have changed a little bit our our projected point spread that we released officially was 9.6 utah was favored 
in our team strength model. The talent edge was much closer because, of course, you know Florida has a, a pretty strong uh, track record recruiting-wise, has a lot of talent um, year to year. Most would would argue actually uh, out recruits Utah, but Utah obviously does a great job with um, development and and you know finding under the radar players, things like that. Uh, but the stats only model is heavy on Utah. It was double digits uh, in, in favor of Utah at nearly eleven and a half. The uh, team strength and the talent edge models have changed because we took out Rising, we took out Keithy. Right now we're at Utah at about five and a quarter, favored by five and a quarter. Uh, so still have the Utes winning. It is a home game. Utah is, you know, a, a strong team. Uh, they've played without rising before. The backups have gotten a lot of practice, really been competing with one another, uh, with rising limited as much as he is this spring. So I actually don't hate it that, that we're on Utah. Um but the uh, talent edge has actually shifted to where now Florida is a favorite, even on the road where we do make a, a two and a half point uh, home field uh, advantage adjustment for all three models. And, and that includes the talent edge. So Florida on a neutral field would be about a you know three point favorite if you were just looking at the talent numbers. But um, with this being at Utah, even though they are most likely going to be without rising it sounds like uh even if he does play might not be 100 percent. but i i still think that this is probably a game that utah should win um i i think that the home field advantage is going to matter um i like jaquindon jackson a lot the running back at utah former quarterback um utah has uh, added some depth at the skill positions the transfer portal wide receiver and tight end uh, specifically the defense um, struggled a little bit against the pass last year uh, more than we're used to but it's an experience unit um, they uh, you know bring back multiple uh, all pack 12 players the secondary is actually more experienced than you might expect having lost Clark Phillips who was of course, a great player, but they bring in uh, Miles Battle from the transfer portal, who uh, I think is is going to factor in. I'm not sure if he's officially listed as a starter, but um, probably going to play, you know, a lot. Uh, and and I would expect we'll eventually move into that starting lineup. But I, yeah, I don't hate that we're on Utah, even though the uh, projection has changed, you know, four or five points. Um even though you know we, we might not have been on the best number officially, I still think this is a, a, a game that Utah should win, can win, but it, you know it is also a game that, that Florida could win, especially um, if Utah struggles at the quarterback position. So um, didn't talk a whole lot about the Gators, but they are a talented team. They can run the football. Um, I'm excited very interested to see what Graham Mertz looks like uh, at quarterback. But I I do think that Utah is rightly favored and and I don't hate that we have them covering. Yeah. Xavier, I mean, this is a, it's a tough game to pick, but if you look at what went on last year and how it was a close game, razor's edge in Florida, you take away their best player in Anthony Richardson, Richardson and put them in Utah. How does Utah lose this game? Well, 
there's a possibility because their starting quarterback is out one of their best playmaking tight ends is potentially out as well. So it becomes a little murky here. Do you have a strong feeling one way or the other for Florida or Utah in this one? Oh, no, I, I really think with the loss of Cam Rising, I don't have a good look at this game, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I think it's been made out to possibly be, I thought coming into this game, Utah was going to wash Florida. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, I felt like Graham Mertz was still going to have some growing pains in that offensive system. And I thought Utah's defense, even though losing Clark Phillips, was better up front than what they were last year. Um, I think they have more talent up front. I think they have, um, you know, more speed up front than what they had last year. I think last year they were a little bit surprised by Florida speed. That wasn't going to be a thing that I thought was going to come into play this year. And obviously the great equalizer last year with Anthony Richardson. You know, Anthony Richardson, I felt Utah was definitely going to have a better opportunity to win this game outright, especially at home. We know the kind of things Utah's able to do at home. Um, you know, obviously they were able to beat USC at home last year in a nail-biter victory, right? Without Cam Rising, though, I'm a little bit more concerned. Their defense is still good. I still expect the defense to be solid. It's going to come down, though, to whether, well, you know, whether who new quarterback, whether that's Graham Mertz playing in his first game for Florida or, or, or Utah's QB, who's going to make the least amount of mistakes. Sure. Uh, and I'm really leaning on the side that the home team is just going to be able to that, that crowd, that first game of the season, making up for last year's loss. It's just going to be able to will them to a victory. I mean, we've seen Utah will to victories by that crowd before. Right. I mean, remember, this was a team two years ago. I swore up and down. There was no way Oregon was going to go into Utah and lose that game. They got stomped to the ground. Last year, <laughs> USC goes in there with the eventual Heisman champion, uh, you know, Heisman winner, gets beat by gets beat by on two point conversion at the end of the game. There's just something that cooks in Utah that when it comes to the Utes, nine times out of ten they come away with a win, uh, and they've done that, you know, under this new head, under the, their current head coach. And I know Cam Rising says he's not playing, but something makes me feel like he's going to give it a chance. Like, something makes me feel he's going to still come out there in, in pre-game warm-ups, in pads, and they're going to have to, like, tell him you're not playing versus being a situation where it's like, oh, he's just going to decide right, right now, right here, he's not going to play tomorrow's game. I just, you know, Cam Rising just strikes me as that kind of guy who's like, I will play on one leg, coach. Put me out there yeah. in a wheelchair. I will I'll do seven, seven step drops in a wheelchair. Just let me give an opportunity to go out there and play. So, I, I really think well, we may even see Cam Rising. I'm not saying we will, but all the reports being like, oh, he's done. He's not playing tomorrow at all. It's stranger so things have happened. For, for sure. sure. For, for a guy who has literally put his life on the line for Utah since he got there. I mean, we've seen some of the hits he's taken. This guy plays like it's his last game every single time he's out there. Regardless of all of that, though, I think it's closer than, may, than maybe what the numbers have it right now. I'd be picking Florida to cover this be honest with you, I think it's going to be really tight. It might come down to a game-winning field goal. That's the kind of vibe I think this game will have because I think on the flips, I think Napier will run a ton of ball control to keep that ball out of Utah's hands. And um, on Utah's side, I think they'll do the exact same. So this game might end in about two and a half hours. I'm going to put it out there. I think both teams are going to run the air out the football. Um, not, 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 not much air raid going on with, you know, with, not, with Cam Rising not in attendance. But I think Florida should cover here without Cam Rising. I'm just not sure what that – Utah offense really looks like without him, to be honest. You so you're taking Graham Mertz. I just want to get the official Look, word. I know, and I really Zavier, I you are trashed, taking Graham Mertz. I have Mertz. trashed on yes. Graham Mertz, but I have absolutely no idea what that QB at Utah is going to give me. And I know <laughs> that Graham Mertz can give me something. What that something is, we'll see on Thursday, but he gives me something.
All right, let's go on to the next game here. We're moving to Friday. We're going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta where Georgia Tech and Louisville are facing off. The line is Louisville by 7.5. The total is 48.5. Two teams both replacing the quarterbacks here. Uh, Louisville, um, you know, you bring in Jack Plummer, a guy that's familiar with the system. Great. Uh, Haynes King at Georgia Tech. I don't know. Didn't look good at AM. So I don't know how this is going to look for Georgia Tech. They're still kind of in rebuild mode here. So, Nick, this line seems low. It seems to me like it should be Louisville by more. How do you feel about this one? Well, so I have a question for you guys, actually, because I, I did make a judgment call. Um, and I think I'm comfortable with it. But uh, th- you mentioned this game's at Mercedes Benz. Mm-hmm. right down the street from Georgia Tech, uh, but not at Bobby Dodd Stadium. So what? Uh, how much we give two and a half points for home field advantage? Mm-hmm. What, if any, do you think Georgia Tech deserves as far as home field advantage for this game? Not much. I feel like, yes, maybe they're closer to home, but I think there still be more Louisville fans there because, uh, you know, it's not crazy. Far. It's so far if you live in Louisville, but it's not crazy far. So I don't think Georgia tech travels very well uh, for football. So I don't know. I think probably nothing is fair. Xavier, what do you think? Man, I really don't want to have to crap on a fan base. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I really, well, they, the, the, what reason do they have to show up recently? You know, it's not the fans. Well, recently I was going to say the last Georgia tech game I've been in, it's been a while, but I went to yeah. a Georgia tech game where a ranked Georgia tech team played a ranked Virginia team on a Saturday and there were plenty of good seats still available. So this, yeah. this has yeah. been quite a while, yeah. but, uh, that, that, I, I think, I that think that was when they were ranked. I think yeah. on the head, look, uh, it's going to be a Louisville-friendly crowd. I think it's going to be somewhere in the range of 65-35, 60-40. Um, I think Georgia Tech will have its contingency because they typically do, especially with it being in the Dome and Mercedes-Benz. You know, you get the amenities. It's a it's a chance to go out and watch a game for cheaper than it is to watch an NFL game. So there's, there's all those things. Obviously, the student section will you know be hyped to watch a game yeah, you know, yeah. without having to be in the heat. So there's all those aspects that you take into it. But the same thing goes for Louisville fans who travel uh, who travel really well, from my experience. Um so I, I I don't think there really is any home field advantage for them. To be honest with you, uh, to be so, honest, yeah. I, I agree. I went with zero for okay. this, yeah. and that does impact the the projection Look, because I, I was sort of well, I, I was sort of wrestling in my head a little bit with there's there is I think a benefit to sleeping in your own bed or like doing your your home game because not know, having to really travel. Yeah, do yeah doing your home game routine. Uh, because even if they stay in a hotel the night before, a lot of teams do, even at home games, um, there's still a benefit maybe to that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I for for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned, I, I went with zero. Xavier, I cut you off. Were you saying? No, I mean, this was a team that, you know, a couple of years ago, I watched them lose to Northern Illinois on the first game of the season. And I could tell you by halftime of that game, it was a lot of Northern Illinois noise in that stadium. And we're talking about, a G5 team traveling all the way to Atlanta. Yeah. So, yeah, I just – sorry, Tech fans, don't have much faith in you. <laughs> I, you know, I was selling it out and being louder than Louisville fans. Just don't. Yeah. yeah. But we'll yeah. see. I mean, no, you know. We'll, but uh, but so so because we didn't do the two-and-a-half point uh, home field advantage, because we didn't do any, actually, 
um, this one lines up as in all three models agree. So our, our team strength uh, projections give Louisville, uh, they're almost an 11 point favorite um, on a neutral field, as we're calling it uh, in this one. The talent edge model is the one that would have flipped. If we, if we gave Georgia Tech even a little bit of home field advantage, um, the talent edge would have gone under the seven and a half. We're at 7.63. Uh, and then the uh, prism model, the, the stats only model, that is also at double digits, so 10.8. So uh, we would still have Louisville favored to cover, even if we gave Georgia Tech the full two and a half in both the team strength model and the prism model. Uh, those are the models that I like the most personally, but I do think that that all of them uh, give us uh, some information and, and you, know, you can look at a game uh, through multiple lenses, which I think is useful personally. But yeah, I, I like Louisville in this game. There are a lot of new pieces, obviously new head coach, Jeff Brom. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it all fits together and if they can get up to full speed quickly enough. Uh, but Jack Plummer is going to be his quarterback, played for Brom at Purdue for four years. Uh, Jamari Thrash, Georgia State transfer, I think is in line for a huge year. Uh, Kevin Coleman transferred from uh, Jackson State was a you know high high four star recruit who uh, went you know followed uh, Coach Prime at, at uh, uh, the FCS level but ends up transferring to Louisville. Excited to see what he can do. There was a lot of positive buzz in fall camp about Chris Bell, the sophomore, a big target, 6'2", 225. Um, this Louisville offense, I think, has got a chance to be really really good. Uh, Jawar Jordan, very fast running back. Um, and the offensive line, even though it's, you know, somewhat inexperienced, I think is, is, uh, got the potential to be pretty good as well. Georgia tech, you mentioned, you know, Haynes King has uh, struggled at times in his past, hasn't gotten a ton of, uh, work, but has, I think some talent. So it'll be interesting to see what he does in a new location, see how that comes together. I do think that Georgia Tech did some interesting things in the transfer portal as well. They really hit it hard in the offensive skill positions. Um, also, you know, added some depth on, on defense as well. Uh, in this Georgia Tech team last year when Brent Key took over for Jeff Collins as head coach, interim head coach, uh, they were a different team. I mean, they played much better, much more competitive. Uh, they were a tough team to beat last year. So, um, you know, I think that they are understandably an underdog, uh, but I do, I do think that this Georgia Tech team is, is uh, capable of being very, very competitive again this year. I just, you know, I, I kind of like that all three models line up on Louisville for this one. I do think that this is one that they're going to be able to, to go into Atlanta and win by more than a touchdown. Xavier, what do you think? Do you, are you holding out hope for Georgia Tech? I know you said you don't want to knock them, especially this early, but kind of no. hard not to. I'm sorry. There's just no – I just don't see any feasible way that they win this ballgame. Um, I think Louisville's going to be what is in that tier two in the ACC where if, the, if you know, a couple, of, uh, couple of bounces go in their way, they might somehow end up in the tier one this year, right behind maybe a Clemson um, and the FSU. Um, I think they're right there sniffing at, you know, knocking at the door. And I, and I think this is going to be a coming out party would be, I think a miss, uh, would be wrong to say, because I just think they're just flat out better than Georgia tech. Um, 
I know showed on I know showed on Friday. Uh, realistically, for Georgia Tech, this is an opportunity, in my opinion, to just show the fan base that they're trying to move in the right direction, be a competitive outfit. This was a team that last year struggled. I mean, struggled throughout the year. Um, and I think realistically, you're looking at a team that has to kind of get its fans back underneath them. I mean, we just talked about the fact that we don't know if the fans will even show up for a game that's – and for somebody who lives here, the, diff, the, the separation between those two stadiums, about 10 minutes. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's just one of those situations where they really have to just – like I said, I think being competitive will go a long way in this game. I just don't see it happening. Um, I think, I think honestly, they win by two scores. Um, I think seven and a half is a little low. I, th- I understand why it's lower because obviously it's two teams within the same conference, t- two P5 uh, matchups. But personally, and we'll talk about it in just a second, I think the number that we see for Boise State and Washington should probably be the number we see for Louisville and Georgia Tech. And that is a great transition right there, Xavier, as we move on to the next game, which is on Saturday, Boise State. Uh, going to Washington. Washington is a 14 and a half point favorite. The total on this is 58 and a half. Nick, I'm with Xavier. It feels a little low, especially for a team that, you know, it seems like if there's going to be, I I guess not, but it feels like Washington maybe has the best shot at the playoff for the Pac-12. So if this team is going to contend and, you know, be a real threat, not only in the Pac-12, but possibly nationally as well, you can't let Boise State come in here and even threaten you. You know, I feel like you got to blow the doors off of them, but the line says that it's going to be closer than that, at least, uh, you know, a touchdown and a hook here. Um, but how do you see this game playing out? Is Washington is Washington so much better than uh, Boise State that this needs to be a bigger line, or do you think this is right or in the neighborhood? How do you feel? Well, as far as our projections go, we we have Boise State covering. Uh, do have Washington as a double digit favorite, but closer to twelve and a half than the fourteen and a half in our team strength model. The talent edge model gives Washington a bigger edge, has them covering closer to sixteen uh, in that one. But the stats only model, which um, is uh, one that that I do like to to pay close attention to, especially in non-conference matchups. Uh, has it, you know, just under ten, just in you know single digits. So, um, I I agree that this Washington team is uh, very good. I I think even though they come out a little lower than I expected in our power rankings overall, they're seventeenth nationally and third in the Pac-12. I do think that their ceiling is as a playoff team, as a Pac-12 champ and, and a playoff team. Um, so with that in mind, you would expect them to uh, uh, be able to, to take care of business against Boise State. Um, but Boise State is, is our clear Mountain West uh, favorite. They are a team that, you know, the talent numbers are, are there's going to be a gap there, obviously. Uh, Boise State is 77th in overall roster strength. Um, they did take a little bit of a dip on the defensive side of the ball in you know returning production and, and just the uh, talent numbers as, as they stack up on that side. Um, but that unit was top 15 nationally last year in our team performance numbers. So it is sort of a strength versus strength situation if you look at last year's numbers. But I do think that Washington State 
um, because they return so much offensively. Michael Penix Jr., uh, Roma Dunza, Jalen McMillan. Uh, they did unfortunately suffer a, a season-ending injury at the running back position. Cam Davis is going to be out, uh, but they brought in a lot of depth at that position as well. Dylan Johnson, the, the transfer from Mississippi State, I think is going to step in and do well. Been reading some really good things about Will Nixon uh, for a couple of years now. So uh, I do think that Washington uh, matches up pretty well. I like uh, the the Boise State offense. Taylor Green stepped in, and, and this was a new team with him at quarterback last year when he took over for Hank Bachmeyer after the first four games. Uh, George Halani is back. He and Ashton, Ashton Ginty, one of the better one-two combos at running back. Uh, you know, Stephon Cobbs and, and Billy Bowens on at wide receiver. Unfortunately, they, they did lose Latrell Caples uh, to a season-ending injury. But um, for the most part, you know, Boise State has a, a similar level of experience on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I just think that that Washington is is pretty close to elite, uh, at least on offense. They've got some work to do defensively. They ranked 96 last year in defensive team performance. They were decent against the run. They were top 50, really struggled against the pass. And I do think that, you know, that matches up. If you, if you want to be stronger in one than the other in this game for Washington, that's, that's what you probably would choose. Um, so I just think that, you know, as, as good as we think Boise State will be this year, Washington matches up pretty well with them in this game. Uh, I don't necessarily trust the projections. I think that Washington is good enough that they're going to be able to, to win this game by, you know, closer to three touchdowns than two, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how good that Boise State defense can, you know, be with its level of turnover uh, personnel-wise, see how how close this unit can be to, you know, matching last year's numbers against one of the best offenses in the country. So uh, it's it's possible, you know, I don't, I don't hate our projection, uh, but I, I – I worry that we might be on the wrong side of this one. I think I'd rather our projection were closer to 17 or 20 than, than, you know, 12. Xavier, how do you feel about this game? Are you on Washington here? You like Boise state? I mean, like Nick said, it feels like it's going to be close, but I would not be surprised if Washington won this one going away. Yeah. I think it's one of those situations where I look at this game and go, Washington probably should win away. Uh, going away, I, I think that Boise State may be able to keep up for a quarter or two. I think Taylor Green's just that dynamic. I think the offense can be that dynamic. But we're talking about arguably, and, and I said arguably, one of the top five offenses in college football. Uh, I genuinely think it, it could be in that conversation this year. Uh, you're talking about a guy, Michael Penix, who after a poor year with Indiana the year before, was able to put himself back in draft conversations after last season with the, the performances that he put on. Um, and I think he'll carry that into this year. Um, obviously, his receiving core isn't 100% back, but he's got po- probably a top five wide receiver in the country, top six. Um, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's been taken h- pretty highly in CFF drafts uh, this year um, as well. So I-, I think, once again, this is a Washington offense that's just going to be able to go. Um, and I think the biggest thing for Boise State is getting timely stops. Um, if they stay within a score, you know, I think they may have a chance here to cover, uh, but they can't get buried. 
that's that's the number one thing. They just can't get buried. They got to take care of the football. Um, I know those things seem normal, but we're talking about the first week of college football. Yeah. Weird things happen all the time, right? So I, I think realistically, Washington should handle this pretty well. I think Michael Penix is once again going to start his ascending, uh, ascending to a you know Heisman sleeper, Heisman dark horse. Um, I think a great showing against Boise State does that as well. Um, and I, once again, I, I think if Boise State can stay in this game, it's a good look for them. I think Taylor Green, and I've said this before, I think he's uh, he's moving his way into being not only one of my favorite quarterbacks in the country, but I think one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he's still rather young, but I, I think he could put on a show. And it could be there could be some fireworks in this game, definitely. But I expect Washington to, to run away with, with that 14 and a half. All right, let's go to the next game here. UTSA on the road against Houston. The official line is UTSA by a point and a half. The over is 59 and a half here. I'm obviously rooting for UTSA after what Dana Holgerson had said about uh, Texas and Texas A&M here, uh, Nick, but they got a, a new transfer quarterback in here um, at, at Houston, and Frank Harris did lose some playmakers, right? But Frank Harris is the man at UTSA. So I'm excited to watch him play again. This should be a really fun game to watch. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I'm excited to watch Frank Harris too. And and it seems sort of, you know, unbeknownst to us for a good chunk of the offseason that we were dangerously close to not seeing Frank Harris again. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, according to some uh, interviews that he has done recently. Uh, he was very, very close to medically retiring. I think he said he might have even told the coaching staff he planned to. So uh, that would have been, you know, a huge bummer. Uh, he's uh, such an exciting player to watch. Um, has been, I mean, <laughs> just sort of the 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 things that that he has done to elevate UTSA as a football program, you know, as, as uh, young as it is to have the two seasons that they've had back to back. And Frank Harris has been such a big part of that. Um, it, it's uh, going to be really fun to, to see one more season of him uh, this year as UTSA moves to the American. But I also am a little bit worried. I mean, if he was that close to hanging it up because he just wasn't healthy had multiple surgeries. Um, you know, he's not the only uh, big-time player on on this uh, offense that is uh, not maybe 100% DeCorian Clark, JT Clark. Um, sounds like he's a game-time decision, may or may not play. He does factor into our official projection. But, um, you know, Joshua Cephas was also dealing with some stuff uh, off the field. So, um, sounds like he's back and, and good to go. They, they do bring back Kavarian Barnes who had established himself as, uh, sort of the, the, you know, workhorse type running back, uh, toward the end of last season as a retro freshman. Um, they do have a little more, hopefully they're, they're healthier on the offensive line. That was a major issue last year for UTSA. Um, but they've got some experience. They, you know, played a lot of guys up front last year. Um, two full-time returning starters are back, but they also bring back, um, Kai Hart, who has 20 games started in his career. Uh, he was limited in a big way last season due to injury. Um, 
so offensively, UTSA, I think, is is in a really, really good spot. I'm not sure if they will uh, be able to, to play at a top 20 level again this season, especially if Frank Harris is, um, you know, not exactly the, the same type of player as he was previously. Um, we'll find out, I think, soon enough. Hopefully he is. But uh, this team, I think, is, is going to go as far as he's able to take them. Um, and then of course, you know, Clark back and healthy Cephas, Chris Carpenter, Tyreek Ogle Kellogg. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of depth at wide receiver as well. So, um, if Frank Harris is able to, to, you know, be close to the same level of player as he was, uh, the, the last couple of years, I think they're going to be just fine on that side of the ball. Um, and then defensively, they also bring back, uh, quite a bit as well as, you know, one of their top players who missed a lot of time last season, Rashad Wisdom, due to injury. Um, he's back. Uh, this is this is a solid team. I mean, we've, we discussed in the offseason there, there's not really much in terms of uh, a weak spot on this roster when it's fully healthy. Uh, Houston is going to be a tough test, though. Uh, we do have UTSA favored, our most up-to-date Projected point spread in the team strength numbers is 1.55. So that has tightened a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm personally very high on Donovan Smith. His stat projections are off the charts. He and uh, Matthew Golden are, you know, from a uh, fantasy perspective, um, among our highest projected players at, at their respective positions. Uh, so I think Houston is, is going to be really quite good, just about as good, if not, with the potential to be even better as UTSA, a top 20, 25 caliber offense for sure. Um, defensively, Houston graded out a little worse than UTSA did last year. They also dealt with a lot of injuries. They've also, as usual, brought in a lot of transfers. It'd be interesting to see how it, you know, works together. Uh, if they're able to, to build that side of the football into um, a unit that's going to take a step forward. You know, last year they were 93rd in defensive team performance overall, 110th against the pass, 84th against the run. Um, you know, I'm not seeing a, a ton of evidence as they take a step up in competition, moving to the Big 12, that we're going to see them as a you know top 50 level defense. But if some of those transfers hit, if some of those uh, guys who are dealing with injuries are, are back in full speed, you know, I, I think it's possible. And, and uh, maybe we get the best chance to see that in week one against UTSA. Um, but I don't, you know, personally have a, a great read on this game. So I will lean on our projections. As I mentioned, the up-to-date projected point spreads, 1.55. So that's right on the official line, uh, that, that we used on Tuesday. Uh, the talent edge is, you know, two, uh, 2.8. So a little bit of an edge there to UTSA, but not much. And then the prism model, the stats only model is 1.24. So leans to Houston. UTSA is still favored, but Houston to cover, but very, very close to that official line. So uh, don't really see much room in this one, but it, it could be, you know, at least on paper, it looks like it, it has the, the potential to be the best game of the day uh, on Saturday. And, and, you know, could, could be a lot of fun, a lot of points potentially as well. Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, Houston versus UTSA here. Do you think, are you rolling with Frank Harris or are you afraid and rolling with Houston? 
I, I want to roll with Houston just because I just don't know how healthy he really is. Um, it was a back and forth conversation all summer. Um, and he's playing, right? The old adage is as if you're a player, if you're healthy enough to play, then play. Um, and we all know the kind of talent that he is when he's healthy. I just, you know, I just hope that whatever injuries he sustained and, you know, whatever whatever he's healing from doesn't necessarily hold him back. I'm actually slightly surprised at the game that this isn't the highest official total of the games we're talking about today. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> but because um, I, I, when I first saw this game, I was like, can they put up 80 combined? Is that possible? Is that a possibility? I Not with the new clock. I, I was, mean, I was like, on. I genuinely think, give me, take me a year back with first down, stop the clock. This game finishing like 42, 45, like easy. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see some, some, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe see a, you know, a 45, a 40 to 26 kind of game possibly. Um, so I think UTSA still has a better team, right? But I, I really am leaning on the side of Houston here. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but would UTSA be favored without the home field advantage? Uh, they do not have the home field advantage. Oh no, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I that wrong. <laughs> so yeah, so they so they'd be, yeah, favored so be favored by right. more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They would be favored by more. My bad. Um, but I, I, regardless of that, I, I really do think that that Frank Harris injury is what concerns me a bit. I think Houston's a better team than maybe we're kind of leading them out to be when we talked about them in the G5 preview. Go back and listen to it if you haven't already. I really thought Houston was one of those teams this year that had a lot of transfers, could possibly put together a strong front if those if those transfers gelled. I just don't know if UTSA is a really good team to, to, to figure that out with. I mean, personally, I know if I was just, just taking it to, to Nick, you – and our days as being coach and player. I've got a brand new secondary playing one of the best offenses in the country over the last two years. I have been drilling into them for the last month, summer, spring of this year to get prepared for this passing attack. So they should be prepared. But it's one thing to see it on film. It's one thing to have a scout team in practice. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Look, that that but, but that that's one thing. But there's another thing to see real speed on film, yeah. on the field. And that first time that Frank Harris leaves the pocket, and the DB comes down, and Frank just walked right by him, and he's gonna be like, "Wow, like that's just it, it." There's just nothing that prepares you for it. And I guarantee you, they've been preparing since April of this year for this game in particular. It's the only game that you'll have this much time to prepare for. Nothing prepares you for for, for what Frank Harris does. So that's why I'm leaning towards UTSA on this one. I think that guy, you know, that guy puts on a superhero cape whenever he's playing. And I think he'll do it regardless of whether he's at 80% or at 100%. So give me UTSA to win this game. I think Houston can I think Houston can hang with them. I just think at the end of the day, he's going to put together a performance that's going to remind us and the rest of the country how great he really is. All right, let's go to Raleigh, where this next game is going to be played from. Home of the Panthers, South Carolina versus North Carolina. Uh, Carolina, North Carolina is a two and a half point favorite in this one. 64 and a half is the over in this game. Nick, I mean, look, I have no idea which way the game is going to go. I'll say that. Like, I don't know that. But I, I feel like maybe that's too many points in the first game. So, you know, I don't know. How do you feel about this game? So I am, am, as usual, leaning on our projections uh, quite a bit. Uh, 
And I have noticed this week we're not on a ton of favorites. That's not uncommon for us. So I'm paying closer attention to the favorites that that do line up in our favor um, and trying to determine like, okay, do, do we have something wrong or do I really agree with that? Because a, a few of my you know, favorite projections, the ones that, that I really have talked myself into are when we have a team, you know, as a favorite projected to cover and, and North Carolina is one of those. And, you know, our, our projection has them uh, winning by five. It also includes uh, our, our uh, projected depth chart does not list North Carolina's expected number one wide receiver, Tez Walker, who's been, uh, unfortunately, you know, denied his transfer waiver. Um, it he's appealing. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know hates uh, sent toward the NCAA for that uh, decision they made. There is some speculation that that perhaps he'll get that decision reversed in time for kickoff. Uh, but even so, we, we decided to you know play it safe and, and removed him from the uh, projected depth chart. And you know North Carolina is still uh, favored to to cover by a bit. So I I understand it. I think I mean the the talent numbers are pretty good for North Carolina. They're 19th in overall roster strength, uh, top 25 both all both offense and defense. Offense makes a ton of sense. You know Drake May, one of the um, just about everybody would say, you know, top two quarterback in the country. Um, the offensive line is very experienced. There are four returning starters from last year's unit. They brought in a starter in Willie Lampkin, who was at uh, Coastal Carolina prior to that. Um, there are a lot of changes in the skill positions, but I think that there's enough there to give Drake May plenty to work with. Um, it's just, you know, will this defense take a step forward and come anywhere close to, you know, their, their, uh, level of play on the field matching, uh, that, that talent profile, uh, because last year it certainly wasn't, they were 120th in defensive team performance. They were 119th against the pass, um, you know, 95th against the run, not, not much better. So South Carolina, I do think is, is, in a position where uh, they, you know, could could uh, put up a lot of points. I, I do think that Spencer Rattler is in line for a good season. Uh, I'm really interested to see DeCarian Joyner as a full-time running back. Um, he's bounced around several positions. Uh, Antoine Wells, Juice Wells, is one of the most talented receivers in the SEC. He has been limited in fall camp at every you know, quote from him, quote from Shane Beamer, uh, says he will play. I'm still a little bit skeptical, you know, how well will he play? How close to 100% will he be? Um, South Carolina did lose uh, their best offensive lineman in the spring game. He's going to be out for the year, most likely. Jalen Nichols might return maybe toward the very end, but um, that's a big loss for them. Uh, you know, defensively, I, I think that there's certainly some talent. There are, uh, you know, productive players up front like Tonka Hemingway, 
Um, they've got some real depth at the edge. I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, Jason Strachan and, and Terrell Dawkins, if he's healthy enough to play, and Tyreek Johnson. They listed like six oars at edge, and, and you know I kind of understand it. They, they've got um, some really interesting pieces uh, there, um, but they've also got some injury concerns as well. Jati Skier is also a little bit banged up and, and not 100% sure if he's going to play. Um, but there's some experience in the secondary. DQ Smith, Marcella Style, Nick uh, Imawari, all returning starters. So I, I, I think that the South Carolina team is uh, going to be good. I do think that they, like they were last year, going to be a tough team to beat week, week in and week out. Um, but I just I think that North Carolina's better. I mean, the talent profile is similar. Uh, the talent edge projection gives North Carolina 4.3 uh, point, you know, uh, uh, edge in, in the matchup. The stats only model is much closer. It's 2.2. Uh, so it's the only one where South Carolina slides in, you know, just under um, that official point spread. But yeah, I just, I, I think that North Carolina is the better team. It's just whether or not those weapons develop for Drake May um but i i think i think that they will and you know will north carolina play any better on defense i mean i i think they will but I, i'm a little less confident in that than i am the the offense just being able to outscore south carolina so i do think that that this is a game that north carolina is rightly favored in and uh us being uh, a little bit uh, you know over that um that that feels right to me as well. Xavier, your thoughts on the Battle of the Carolinas here. Are you going with North or South? Give me South. Um, I know that North Carolina has, you know, all the the plaudits because of Drake May. They have the press clippings, possibly the number one quarterback in the draft, if not number one, number two, you know, all these other things going for them offensively. But I've heard this all before. It sounded like the same way they talked about Sam Howell with him going into his junior year. I remember that defense, and I go, nothing's changed. <laughs> I just genuinely don't think much has changed. Offensively, they're going to be dynamic. They're going to be great. Drake May's going to do, for the most part, against 95 to 95 percent of his schedule, do what he wants to do. That's not that's not going to change. It's if they can stop anybody, and I'm not sure they can. And on the flip side, you've got a South Carolina team that might be coming into the, the their most anticipated season in maybe half a decade, a decade, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm doing a little bit of disservice when I say a decade, but definitely half a decade. I, I think Beamers got that, got Columbia rocking uh, the way that they ended last year in particular, um, I think has them in, in a, an upper echelon, at least mentally that I think that they've been in a very long time. Um, and so I, I think this is a game that, that for South Carolina, I think they're going to put people on notice. I think they're going to handle business here. Um, I know that's going against the grain a little bit. That might be the first and only upset of the episode I have, maybe. Um, but I just don't see a way. Nor I think I, I think South Carolina defense gets enough stops to win them to win them this game. Where I do believe South Carolina's offense, you know, could be a little bit exposed on the offensive line. Uh, I know some of their higher end talent may be injured for this game. I don't think it matters and offensively. I think that defense is going to be ridiculous nick you hit the matchup on the head that i i really am focused on in this game and that's north carolina's receivers versus south carolina's uh db room 
I'm going to have to lean on South Carolina's DB room as of right now. I haven't seen North Carolina's receiver do it enough. Um, let's see how big of a hole it is losing Josh Downs. You know, it might not be any, but that's yet to be seen. Um, he was so potent in the, you know, for the offense for not only Sam Howell, but also for Drake May uh, last season. So give me South Carolina for the upset. I think their defense is just going to be good enough. And I don't trust that North Carolina defense uh, farther than I can throw them. And seeing as though most of them weigh 250 plus, I can't throw them far. <laughs> uh, look, I, I mean, that's why I'm staying away from this game because it really depends on, you know, what what Spencer Rattler is showing up. If we get Spencer Rattler from the end of last season, I think South Carolina can uh, win this game, maybe going away. But if we get normal middle of the line, the tail of two different halves, uh, Spencer Rattler, I, I think it's going to be a, a close game. So I'm uh, avoiding it for sure. Um, this game too, Nick, I'm glad you put this one on here because this is one I cannot figure out. Uh, Tulane hosting South Alabama here. Tulane is a six and a half point favorite. 52 and a half is the over, um, you know, when we were doing conference previews, South Alabama could, could be a pretty good team here. So I, I, um, I don't know where I want to go in this game. Help me out. Help me out here. Who do you like in this one? Uh, well, so South Alabama is our highest rated Sunbelt team. Tulane is uh, the defending group of five champion, I guess, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, the, the new year's six, uh participant um this Tulane team uh, we project to take a little bit of a step back uh part of that is their their 21 21 performance when they were a little bit you know dealing with some uh I, I failed to mention this in in our uh, American preview and, and a listener reached out um to remind me that part of the reason, Tulane probably struggled as much as they did in 2021 was they were living on the road for quite a while because they were dealing with some hurricane uh, displacement. So uh, that was certainly a factor. And, and last year, you know, they, they bounced back in a big way. Um, they of course don't have Tajay Spears, not hundred percent sure what the running back situation is going to be. Do remember reading some reports in fall camp that shady Clayton Johnson, who you would expect is uh, got the inside track, uh, to be the first running back on the depth chart um, has been a little bit banged up. They did bring in Cedra Lewis to transfer from Liberty. They also have uh, some younger guys that, that they seem to like, including uh, Makai Hughes, who I, I read a report that uh, he was impressive during a, a scrimmage. Um, everything else, they seem to be in, in pretty good shape. The offensive line brings back four out of five, returning starters. Two of them are all conference players. Um, they also bring in a transfer from LSU who you would expect, uh, who, you know, started 10 games for the Tigers is probably going to, uh, factor in on, on that, uh, front among that front group. Uh, Michael Pratt, the quarterback is back. Um, that's, that's maybe the most important thing bearing the lead a, a bit there. Uh, and Jaquan Jackson is a all conference caliber receiver. So offensively Tulane, has the potential to be very, very good again. I think they will miss Spears. He was a special player, um, but I don't think he's irreplaceable. Uh, and then defensively, it, it's kind of an interesting mix. The The front four is back intact. Um, they brought in uh, what we expect probably to start four transfers in the back seven. 
Um, and, you know, mix that in with, with a little bit of experience in the secondary as well. I, I don't know if this is going to be a top 15 pass defense again, like they were last year. I do think that playing at a top 50 uh, level overall, as far as team performance is, is definitely doable. So I, I think that this Tulane team is going to be dangerous once again. I, I do understand our projection thinking they're take, going to take a little bit of a step back, but, but just a small step, uh, but still capable of doing everything they did last year, quite frankly. Um, South Alabama, we expect to take a little bit of a step forward. And, and they were a 10-win team last year as well. Um, but they bring back just about everybody. I mean, South Alabama ranks number two in overall uh, returning production. They rank ninth offensively third defensively they also bring their quarterback back carter bradley they bring one of the top running backs in the group of five level in ladanian webb back they have four returning starters on the offensive line also uh multiple starters at receiver so offensively they should be in very very good shape defensively i think that south alabama could be one of the very best defenses at the group of five level for sure and statistically don't be don't be shocked if this ends up is one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, they were 22nd in defensive team performance overall last year, 33rd against the pass, 14th against the run. And I mean, 11 out of 12, uh, or excuse me, 10 out of 11 uh, starters are back. If you include Keith Galman, who missed all of last season due to injury, but he was a, you know, all conference, maybe even all America caliber player prior to that. So uh, South Alabama is, I think, if I had to just choose one team that that is the team to beat to to you know represent the group of five. I don't know. I mean, maybe I should pick Boise State, uh, but I think the South Alabama team is very much in that conversation. They're on a very very short list, so it's uh, a great matchup. I am excited for it. It is going to be on the road for South Alabama in New Orleans. I did just see a tweet uh, from Craig Steverson, who covers South Alabama for AL.com, with some photos of the helmet that they're going to wear that have the birthplace of Mardi Gras. And, you know, so, so they're going on the road with that on their helmet. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really, really good matchup. I have been looking forward to it for months. I think I tweeted about it like March or something. Um, but it's, it's a, it's going to be a real treat. It's going to be like the, the group of five uh, showcase uh, certainly for week one, but, but I think you, you could argue uh, might be the, the best group of five game on the schedule, uh, especially non-conference uh, that we'll get this year. So uh, very, very fun. Uh, we do have Tulane, favored um have them coming in under the six and a half in two of the three models uh four and a half in team strength four and a quarter in talent edge and then a little bit over in the prism model it's uh seven and a half seven and three quarters there so um i don't have a, a big lean personally one way or the other uh but if i had to choose i, I think that uh I, I am glad that we're on South Alabama to cover. I do think that 
um, they've got a chance to be an elite defense and a very, very good team overall. Xavier, your thoughts here? I mean, like Nick said, it's going to be a fun game. Who do you see coming out on top? Yeah, I, I think personally, first off, Nick, love I, I love that helmet. I, I think it's one of the best helmets that they could ever come out with. Um, if you if you know obviously the history of why that's the case, Mobile is where technically Mardi Gras originally started. Um, it's now called the family friendly Mardi Gras in comparison to the one in New Orleans. So if you have family, if if you're you know if you're a dad like myself and you're not and you're going with a child, you might want to go to Mobile instead of New Orleans. Uh, you know, less drunk people, more just of the original tradition of Mardi Gras. So getting back into the game though. I think South Alabama has a really good shot to win this game. Um, I, I I give them, you know, all the chance in the world, to be perfectly honest with you. I understand Tulane's going to be one heck of an offensive team, uh, but we might be looking at – obviously, we've talked about Troy before, but I think we're looking at one of, if not the favorite in the, in the Sun Belt this year. Obviously, Tulane's coming off of one of the best their, – I think their best season of their school's history, uh, one of the greatest turnarounds in college football history one of the best offenses in the country, in my opinion. Um, they're bringing back dang near everybody from that team uh, outside of a couple of people um, that, that they filled with transfers, which I am, which, like I said, when we talked about them earlier um, in our preview, I was excited that they went ahead and did because they just added, they, they, they took away people that they lost and they added talent in those spots, um, which is huge. Uh, they're, uh, Michael Pratt, is going to be a, I guarantee you this, Scott, I guarantee you this, Michael Pratt, draft darling. He might not go into the sixth or seventh round, yeah, but everybody's yeah. going to talk about him for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, I I think he's one of those guys who, you know, they're, they're going to have on a podcast and be like, man, he's just, you know, he, he's, he's a gamer. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I think this game really comes down to whose defense wants to show up first. I think both offenses are extremely uh, – can go with each other. Uh, I think both of them have the talent on the outside. I think both quarterbacks are good enough to to sling it around the yard if if they're allowed to it's going to be really based off of that off of each defense and whether or not you know they really decide all right cool we're we're, we're done with watching the showcase and the fireworks we're going to play defense now um i'm leaning more on the side of south alabama to do this with, with just a little bit more cohesion um on that defense i think tulane has a little bit more high-end talent uh returning but they also are going to be starting four transfers um, in that defense, uh, whereas South Alabama seems to be returning almost everybody, if I'm not mistaken, um, having one of the highest, you know, it was ranked third in defensive returning production. So I, I think realistically, give me, and I said I might have only one upset here, but I'm going to have two. I think South Alabama goes into Louisiana, um, comes out of there. They need to make it. They need to make this game like a yearly thing. To be honest with you, they need to make this like a one. They, they need to make this like the Mardi Gras like showcase yeah. seriously because I think it would be great. I think you, you could, I think you could already have the trophy of, you know, uh, I think the winner gets a king cake. You know, I, I think, I, 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 right, Scott? See, not yeah, Scott. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would love to see this become a yearly thing for them because uh, I think it's just a really good game with a ton of pageantry that could be a part of it as well. And two, at the current moment, two of the better teams in the G5. But like I said, give me South Alabama in the upset. I just had a king cake for the first time, like last year. Oh, so, man, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Good, good stuff. All right, let's go to 
LSU versus Florida State on Sunday evening. This is going to be a really, really good one. This is another neutral site game in Orlando. Uh, the official line is LSU by two and a half. The total is 57 and a half. Uh, I mean, I cannot wait to watch this game. This is the premier game of the weekend of week one and will be the the most watched game of this week one, I feel like for sure. Uh, Nick, it's going to be a great game. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. Uh, it's, you know, top 10 matchup, right? I mean, in our projections, uh, Florida state is a little shy of that, but I think that, that, Oh no, actually they moved into the top 10. So they're ninth. So it's eight, it's number eight versus number nine in our projections. It is a top 10 team, uh, top 10 matchup. So, um, two teams with, you know, conference championship aspirations, national championship aspirations. Uh, they have top 10 rosters just stacked with uh, NFL talent. Um, it's, it's the closest projected matchup that we've got of the week. We don't have uh, any wrong team favored uh, this week, but we've got this one, which is almost a perfect coin flip. I mean, the, the projected point spread in our team strength model has LSU favored by 11 one hundredths of a point. So 0.11 on this one. Uh, so we do have Florida State projected to cover. Our talent edge actually goes to Florida State outright, and the PRISM model has the Seminoles as uh, uh, just a, a little less than a one-point underdog. So we do have FSU covering in all three. So all three of the models agree, even though – um, we don't officially call for the outright upset, but, um, yeah, there's, there's uh, so much in this game that, that I'm looking forward to, uh, Florida state offensively is got, they, they were, you know, seventh last year in team performance overall 15th passing third rushing. I think they've got the potential to be even better because they went out and got Keon Coleman from Michigan state in the transfer portal. Uh, Winston Wright Jr., who transferred in last year, missed all of last season due to injury. He is back. Jaheim Bell at tight end is back. They filled their two, uh, or really they only had one uh, open spot on the offensive line, but brought in two transfers who are likely to start. Um, so they just, they bring back a ton on offense. They're 11th in returning production on that side of the ball. And then they added to it with just more and more talent. Defensively, they have one of the top players in college football and Jared Verse coming off the edge who came back for his senior year somewhat unexpectedly. They bring in uh, Braden Fiske, who is an incredibly productive player at the MAC level, um, but apparently it sounds like is, is performing incredibly well uh, in practice so far, so not expected to you know, be overwhelmed by the, the step up in competition. The back seven returns almost fully intact. And they added Fintrell Cypress II from uh, Virginia, who was a All-American caliber player last year, a corner for, for Virginia. So um, there's, there's no weakness for this Florida State team. And, you know, you could argue that, that there really isn't for LSU as well, except they're going to be without at least one key player, Mason Smith, uh, the defensive tackle who suffered a, a season-ending injury in the game against Florida State in the opener last year. Um, but he was back 
little banged up in, in fall camp, but is actually going to be suspended for a violation of some sort um, and unavailable in this game. Uh, J.K. Johnson, who was potentially going to uh, start a transfer from Ohio State, he suffered an injury in uh, the, the summer that's going to cost him the season. Denver Harris, a transfer coming in, who was expected to contribute uh, he was away for the t- from the team for a little bit after a uh, fight that apparently had a role in instigating uh, during practice one day. You know, John Emery Jr. wasn't necessarily expected to start at running back, but he is out. He is unavailable this week. Josh Williams, who could potentially have started or at least would be the top backup to Logan Diggs, has been severely limited by injury. So, you know, I, I, I really like this LSU team. We've talked before in our you know SEC preview and, and some of our other discussions that we're a little bit lower on LSU than what a lot of the other uh, projection models are and, and the polls are. Um, I do think that LSU has just a few more questions, um, but they too have one of the very best players in college football, Harold Perkins Jr., can't wait to see what he looks like as a, a true sophomore. Um, LSU's leaning really heavily on transfers, especially on defense. Uh, but offensively, they are number two in offensive returning production. Um, added a little depth through the transfer portal as well. Diggs, as I mentioned, likely to start running back. Aaron Anderson uh, has apparently been a star in fall camp after transferring in from Alabama. So, you know, there's there's a lot to like uh, about both teams. I haven't even mentioned Jaden Daniels and Malik Davis, one of the you know top quarterback wide receiver duos in, in the SEC. So uh, Mason Taylor, one of my favorite tight ends. I mean, there's you know you could talk about every single player uh, on both of these rosters. So it is it is uh, definitely the game of the week. I'm excited that it, it, you know we're going to be able to focus on it in its entirety, um, and at least according to our projections, should be the closest matchup of the week. So could go either way. Um, we're on Florida state to cover, but you know, there's, uh, it's definitely a, a coin flip in a lot of ways and, and wouldn't shock me if, uh, either of these teams, uh, wins. Yeah. Big game to start the season for both squads here, Xavier. So, uh, who do you like coming out of this one? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think, I think if we, if we rewinded the last year, so many of us were like, oh, this game is going to be just like two teams. We're just going to finish in the middle of the pack in their conferences, right? Two of the former powers just kind of duking it out, trying to give us something to watch on the first week of college football. Little did we know that Florida State would be, you know, a game away from the ACC title game and LSU would win the SEC title or win the SEC West title, right? So, you know, I think coming into this game, you guys are absolutely right. Both, this is going to be a huge matchup um, of, and let's just, we could say it, I know people have been, you know, talking about this game and ranting about this game for a while now, but this has playoff implications this early, um, especially for both teams as they both have difficult schedules, you know, later on in the year. Florida State plays Clemson week four. Obviously, LSU gets Bama um, and others. So, you know, winning this game does put you kind of in the driver's seat of, of you know, your own, you know, your own year. Uh, it gives you that a, a huge win to start the season off that could propel you to a college football playoff appearance. Give me LSU. I think Florida State has a little bit too much over uh, turnover on the offensive line. Um, I think LSU is getting better defensively uh, towards the you know the end of last year, all the way up to the SEC championship game. Not going to count what happened against Georgia. 
Georgia was on a war path last year. I don't think it's fair to suggest that, you know, that game in particular was anything indicative of what their defense looks like now, especially with the overhaul that they had in the transfer portal. Um, I think Harold Perkins is arguably the best defensive player in college football, if not the best defensive player in college football. Um, and I think the ways that they're going to use him this year are going to be much like Micah Parsons uh, at Penn State. You're going to see him stand up on the edge. You're going to see him play middle linebacker. You're going to see him with a couple of pick sixes this year. You also might see him with double-digit sacks. All of that is possible in this guy's view. Um, but what it really comes down to for me, and, and it's kind of what came down for me last year, is I think I trust Jaden Daniels just a little bit more um, than I do Jordan Travis. I feel like Jordan Travis still gives me like seven to eight plays a game where I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, as an FSU fan, you're just like, what are you doing? Why did you just throw a jump pass across your body? Like, what are we doing? Um, I think Jaden Daniels may have a little bit more experience in possibly bigger games. We go back to his Arizona State career with some big upsets there. And some of the poise he showed towards the end of last year, some of those big matchups, obviously beating Alabama at home being the biggest, the game just never seemed like it got out of out of his view. The game just never seemed like it got, out of, got too much for him. Once again, like I said, we don't take the SC championship game into account because he was only playing on one leg, really. Uh, I just feel like there wasn't a game last year I go, man, like, you know, he really just, you know, couldn't find his footing once LSU allowed him to just be the athlete that he is. Um, we even saw it last year against Florida State. Once he was allowed to leave the pocket and Brian Kelly wasn't trying to keep him uh, as a pocket passer, that offense exploded in that second half. Um, I think you see some of that this year. Um, I think, obviously, we're, we're – now, I will preface this. <clears throat> I think we're looking at two of – some of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the country with Johnny Wilson um, and Jordan Travis and Malik Neighbors and Jane Daniels, that, that those two connections are going to be great all season long. Um, so I'm excited for the game. I think LSU just pulls it out. Heck, what, what, you know what? You know how you can one up last year's performance? This year, LSU blocks the extra point. You know, let's just let's just get a complete, you know, let's just get a complete 180 on what happened last year. Uh, right. But I think either way, it's going to be a great game. I think ultimately, um, I think, like I said, I think it comes out to the fact that I just believe in Jaden Daniels a little bit more in those closing minutes um, when they really need a play. I love Jordan Travis, but sometimes, but he gives me too many times where I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? Where for Jaden Daniels, I just feel like he's a little bit more poised. Um, and look, that could be all, I could be completely wrong. Jordan Travis is like the most po more poised guy. That's why I think it's the closest game that we have coming into this weekend or one of. Um, and that's why I think it's going to be the best game of the weekend. I mean, I this is a rare instance where I think not putting on this money on this game will make me enjoy it more. I think it would just stress me out if yeah. I put money on somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm I'm gonna watch a money free. Well, maybe uh, money free. <laughs> I'm money free as as of now. But so, if I if I win some games on Saturday, maybe maybe got a little extra to throw in this. Game, <laughs> you know, uh, something like Nick, that. Nick wanted to ask mm -hmm. you a quick question. I'm a little surprised that Florida State has no home field advantage on this. Uh, well, so it's the same. It's the same sort of thing with right. with the Louisville and and Georgia Tech. I, I think so that it's going to be travel, but LSU does. Does right? sure, and yeah, it's probably going to be pretty close to 50-50. Um, That's fair. That's fair. And Orlando, it's in the same state, but it's still it's a drive close. It's a drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're probably going to fly. You know, right, right, right. Um, so I, I think for. For those reasons, um, 
it was an even easier call for me to to Fair enough. make it a zero. But yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, last year I think I did give LSU a little bit in New Orleans. I think I gave them a point yeah. or a point and a half. So um, it's it's something I consider. But yeah, I did just sort of uh, figure that it that it was a little too far for for Florida State. Fair enough. Probably going to be pr- pretty close to even. All right, let's go to the last game up here, the Monday nighter, because no NFL football means we get college football all weekend long and into Monday night as well. Clemson on the road against Duke. Clemson is a 12 and a half point road favorite here. 55 and a half is the over. Uh, This is going to be a fun one as well. I think it... maybe it plays closer than this. I think this line feels pretty good though, Nick. So how do you, how, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I was, I was a little surprised. I won't say disappointed, I guess, but um, I, we seem to be higher on Clemson than a lot. Uh, if anybody follows on Twitter, um, Nate Manzo does a, a composite of our team strength rankings, as well as a lot of, you know, the best in the business, SP plus and uh, beta rank and, and Kelly Ford ratings and um, FEI, Brian Fremo. Uh, there, there's, you know, it, it's a, it's a great thing that he does every week. Um, and it looks like we're higher than the group on Clemson. Um, and it seemed like in some of the early projections I saw, I thought, that and we're Clemson six in our power rankings uh, with Duke being 35th in our power rankings. It seemed like we maybe were a little low on Duke than a lot of folks because there's a nine win team last year. They're fifth in overall returning production, third on offense, 33rd on defense. Um, I thought for sure there might, you know, we might uh, have a, uh, little bit of an edge on, on Clemson in this one. Our projection ended up being single digits. I, I thought it would probably be more than 10. Uh, it's 9.2 uh, as we speak. Um, but yeah, the line is, is 12 and a half. So this does feel like a game to me that, that Clemson is going to, even on the road, uh, be able to win by two touchdowns. I think that Duke is is going to be a very fun team. Riley Leonard is one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Uh, I know he's there's a some of the draft folks haven't made up their mind yet, but it sounds like he's going to be one of the the hotly debated quarterbacks in a year or two um, about his NFL future. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about Duke. Um, I think that their defense potentially, even though they lost more on that side of the ball, there's more room for improvement. They were top 20 against the run, but the past defense struggled a bit last year. I trust Mike Elko to build a, a solid defense and uh, think that they're potentially going to be a little bit improved on that side of the ball. If they stay you know, top 35 on offense, they're going to be a really, really fun team week in and week out. But Clemson is a team that shapes up pretty well to uh, the, the Clemson teams that we got used to seeing over the last you know half decade or more. Um, they bring back a lot from an 11-win team, from an undefeated ACC team. 
Um, they're 15th in returning production overall, 13th on offense, 35th on defense. They were a top 10 defense last year in team performance. Uh, have room for improvement on offense, but they hired Garrett Riley. Cade Klubnick's going to get you know a full year at the quarterback position. They have a running back duo that's one of the best in the country in Will Shipley and Phil Maffa. The offensive line is back. You know, four out of five starters return. Jake Bringsaw, tight end, is I think got a really high ceiling as a pass catcher. Antonio Williams, one of the better wide receivers, most talented in the ACC. So uh, they're just they're a really really good team. They're a heavy favorite in our projections. Uh, just about every game. I mean, they are favored by at least five points in every game. Um, so this is a team capable of winning the ACC and getting back to the playoff. And, you know, it's it's kind of a, a tough opener on the road against a good opponent. Um, but I do think this Clemson team is, is good enough to win. So our projection gives Duke a little more respect compared to the market than I expected coming in. Um, but I do... I, I think we're we might be on the wrong side here. I think that this is a Clemson wins by two touchdowns or more kind of game. Xavier, you agree? Are are you on the Clemson side as well? Yeah, I, I think realistically, I, I like Duke. Don't get me wrong, and, and Nick, you hit around the head. I think we've got another Daniel Jones situation here at Duke, um, where this, this is this guy is going to be a draft darling by the end of the year uh, if everything goes right, and obviously if he stays healthy, uh, right. And, and he has that NFL prototypical size, 6'4", you know, plus great pocket presence, good arm. I think for me, understanding Clemson is going to win this game, I want to see how dominant that they are, though, especially on the offensive end. I've been hearing all year, now that DJ Uyunglele is gone and Cape Klubnik's to offense, we'll get a return back to the high-flying days of Clemson's offense, back to the Trevor Lawrence days, right? And I'm just not buying into that until I see it. I understand that K. Klubnik might be an upgrade offensively as far as from the passing game that DJ was. But the one thing that isn't walking through those doors is guys like Justin Ross. I, the receiving core for me just has let down that offense in some respects over the last couple of years. Um, and until they make a genuine step, I can't bring myself to just saying that this offense is going to hit that next step. Uh, with just Cade being the new quarterback. I think I still think we're going to get a heavy dose of Will Shipley. I still think that, you know, Dabo Sweeney is going to make sure that Cade is comfortable before releasing, you know, before releasing the full arsenal of what that passing game may look like. What I'm expecting, though, is I'm expecting this defense to be exceptional this year. Um, I think Tyler Davis will finally take that jump. And the five-star that he was, I don't think he's lived up to that, to that, to that yet. Jeremiah Trotter is probably the best linebacker in college football this year. Um, you know, and last year they had a really young secondary as far as reps are concerned. Guys like Nate Wiggins, guys like Andrew McCuba, those guys should be just nailed on as some of the better, better P, uh, DBs in the country this year. And I expect them to do so. Um, I would be really shocked if we had a shootout in this ball game where you know Riley was allowed Riley uh, was a, allowed at Duke to just kind of sling the ball around. Um, I, I expect Clemson to win this game in a dominant fashion. If they don't, especially if they don't in that secondary, looks like it did last year, most notably against uh, like Wake Forest, where they just couldn't stop a soul. Um, then I'm going to have question marks on whether or not this Clemson team is really back to trying to compete for uh, you know a national title. 
which is where everybody, which is where their fan base, and I've had a lot of conversations with their fan base this offseason, expects them to be now that K. Klubin's their quarterback. All right, that is it. Unless, Nick, do you have any other games you feel great about you want to throw out there for us? Anything uh, you're putting some cage down on that you like? <laughs> uh, well, so there there have been a few that I've mentioned in the Campus Canton Discord. I uh, do hope everyone would consider joining us there. I've, I've been a lot more active day-to-day talking with uh, subscribers there than I was when we were on Patreon. I was, I was pretty... Uh, removed from from the most part there, but uh, am am out there answering questions, you know, specifically for for a few hours a week um, on our projections, both our player projections and these game projections that we talk about the most here. Uh, but got a question tonight actually in in the office hours section there about if I could only bet one game, which would it be? And one I've been thinking about the most is the Friday night uh, Stanford at Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And this one has been moving toward, I mean, I think it was, you know, a touchdown or more when it opened maybe. Uh, and it was down to three and a half when we uh, made our official projection. Stanford is a three and a half point favorite. Um, so it's moving against Stanford, right? Um, but I, I just have a lot of, reasons that kind of line up for me to to one our projections are a big part of it but to think that that stanford's gonna win and and cover this game so our projections all line up this is one where all three agree and we have like 18 of those this week so it's not a, a super rare thing um but it's sort of a little it is a little bit of a rare scenario i mentioned very early on that we don't have a ton of favorites uh, that that we expect to cover. Uh, That makes me a little nervous for week one. Favorites have a a decent uh, track record in week one, um, if I I remember correctly. Uh, But we've got Stanford favored by close to a touchdown in our, our team strength model. The talent edge is bigger than that. It's almost seven and a half. Our prism model is closer if the line hadn't moved as much as it did, we would be on Hawaii on the, the stats only model, uh, but it's 4.8. Still, you know, a, a little bit of cushion there over the, the three and a half. But there are a few other reasons that this kind of lines up for me to, to think that we're on the right side. Uh, one, Hawaii played last week. That's a good thing. But uh, one, this is a short week <laughs> for Hawaii on a long trip to and from Nashville that uh, they're coming back and playing on a Friday night. Um, that's, you know, something uh, one or two, I should say their 2023 team is now on film and, you know, you get the benefit of, of knocking a little bit of rust off. Um, but your opponent who has a new head coach installing a new offense uh, has a lot of new players. You don't have film on them. Hawaii doesn't have film on, on 2023 Stanford, but Stanford has film on 2023 Hawaii. And as good as they looked, you know, Hawaii exceeded most expectations um, in week one, looked improved. The run and shoot looks like it's got the potential to be fun and productive. Uh, saw some new 
players who, who could potentially break out. Well, Stanford saw all of that too. And they've been able to game plan all week um, based on, you know, what they saw last Saturday. Troy Taylor, new head coach at Stanford, is a first-time head coach. I'm always a little skeptical of that on the whole, but I think we mentioned this in the Pac-12 preview that sometimes a new head coach, uh, to me, is is a real positive because it can jolt a program that really needed it. And Stanford really needed it. I think just you know my hunch is telling me we're going to see an improved Stanford offense specifically. I think they are the more talented team. Uh, even though they have to travel a long way, they potentially might be just as rested, if not more. Um, I just think a lot of things line up to, to make me think that this is a game that Stanford should win and will win and, and probably will cover. So that, that I think, is uh, my favorite one. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the one that, that stands out me stands out to me the most. There are plenty that I discussed in the Discord where I have questions about our projections and I tried to like talk through them. Um, but that my mind just keeps going back to that Stanford and yeah. Hawaii game. Xavier, you said you have two here that you like for this week that we didn't discuss. Which two are those? Yeah, we're heading down to some G5, P5 matchups with these. Um, or in one case, G5, G5, another one, G5, P5. I really like Coastal Carolina to cover against UCLA. Uh, I know much has been made about Dante Moore. And I've got the under in that game. Yeah, I, like I, that. I, I love what you know what, what Dante Moore and company have what has been made about him as a quarterback, but it's still a young quarterback. Um, I think much has been not made and about starting, right? Um, and, and I, I really think that ultimately you're looking at a team with, with Coastal Carolina that I think has maybe because of last season fallen off of the the national narrative a little bit, uh, but that offense obviously is going to still kick somewhat the same. I know that they've lost their head coach, but you're still returning one of the better quarterbacks in the G5 level. Um, I think Coastal Carolina as a team is still pretty darn good because, once again, even though the coach left, a lot of his recruits are still there and kicking about. Um, So I think, realistically, Coastal Carolina has an opportunity here to shock some people. I'm not saying they're going to win this game, but this is not a team that's lost a ton of talent. Um, on the offensive side of the football, right, returning 65% of their production on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're still going to be a really tough outfit offensively. And the defense just has to hold their water, um, I think, in this matchup. The other matchup for me that I really like, I like Sam Houston to cover against BYU. Um, wasn't sold on what I saw from BYU in the, in the spring game. I know it's a spring game. Don't shoot me. Um, but Keaton Slovis is not somebody who I'm entirely bought in on. Um He's somebody that I'm waiting to see come around in that BYU system. And with Sam Houston, I, I think you're looking at a team that is obviously moving, you know, I think personally has an opportunity that can run with them. I'm not saying that defensively they'll be able to stop them, but offensively I think that they have a chance to play with them. I feel like 19 and a half is just a bit much for me. Um, when it comes to BYU, I'm not even sure that, and, and this is really no, I'm not trying to, you know, crap on BYU at all. I'm just not sure they can even create that kind of gap in this ball game without Sam Houston just like being horrible with ball control. Um, I'm not looking for BYU to have this like super uh, offense this year where they're just going to, you know, bury them in, you know, three yard drives or six yard drive or six play drives, right? Where they're just able to score at will. I really feel like BYU is still going to win the game with a balanced system as they always have had, regardless of whether it was Zach Wilson at quarterback or you had Tyler Algier or now with Keaton Slovis. They're still going to have a balanced system. 
And I think that lends for games to just be a little bit closer, even when they're the more talented outfit. So give me Sam Houston to cover that game. Um, and like I said previously, give me Coastal Carolina to cover against UCLA. Yeah, I like the under in that uh, UCLA Coastal game because you have a freshman, uh, true freshman at quarterback for UCLA. You lose Zach Charbonnet as well. Like there's big pieces of that offense yep. that are gone now. And yep. then you have Coastal with a new head coach having to travel all the way oh, across the country right. to, to go play in LA. So that total, I believe is like 64 and a half, 66 and a half, somewhere in that range. Um, so yeah, I like the end in that game as well. I also kind of like, and I know that, you know, P five teams have gone into Wyoming and gotten drummed. Right. But I just think Texas tech is way too talented uh, to go into Wyoming and not win by more than 14. So those are like, those are the games that uh, I like so far. This week Tyler well. Shooks so. might, I, I think, you know, I've talked a lot about draft darling. This was the design. This was the design, and he got hurt last year, right? Yeah. And now we get to see it play out, hopefully. Yeah. So, he, yeah, man. He, he uh, underlying uh, is like, what if Herbert never worked out at Oregon? What he right, right. For sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So those are the games that we like. Remember to follow us all on Twitter at campus, the number two Canton for campus, the Canton at CFP winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine for him and at Bogman sports for myself. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.